Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, Matthew 21 from the New King James Version. Here's what it says. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the villages opposite you, excuse me, the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, and again, I love this about Matthew, that he often will say, identify things that were prophesied in the Old Testament, saying, this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. And here's what it says. The prophet saying, verse 5, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread out or spread their clothes on the roads. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So let me just stop because in another gospel telling this same story about uh, Jesus sending the disciples to loose the donkey or donkeys, that he said, just say, if anybody asks you, the Lord has need. Well, another gospel says they did. They said, hey, why are you untying our donkey? And they said, the, the Lord has need of it, and they let it go. Well, this is, again, a word of wisdom, where something that is unusual, uncommon, counterintuitive, even illogical or ir- irrational, but the Holy Spirit's on this, and so Jesus is saying, Go do something that you're going to take somebody else's donkey, and especially a donkey that's never been ridden on before. I mean, somebody usually would like to be the first one to ride on their own donkey, and yet uh, they went there and apparently, you know, they're untying it, and somebody said, hey, why are you, what are you doing with our donkey? And, you know, I say it like this. I don't think they said it like this, but I say, "Uh, the Lord has need of it because that's what Jesus told them to say, and they said, okay. Well, I doubt they said it just like that. I say that to be humorous. But just to note that when God gives you instructions, that they may be illogical, but we have to trust God that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to make those illogical instructions actually work out, which they did here. So Matthew brings out that it was prophesied that the king, the Messiah, would come lowly, humble, and riding on a donkey. And so, as Jesus begins to enter Jerusalem, and of course, this is Palm Sunday. This is a week before the resurrection. This is the Sunday before the Good Friday that he died. As Jesus is now riding in on a donkey, on a donkey, well, what was prophesied, uh, they began to do, and they began to treat him and talk about him as if he's the Messiah. And of course, he was. And not everybody believed it, but a crowd of people certainly did. So it says that they began to spread their clothes and they cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna 
to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Now, that is from the Old Testament, and it's prophesied that when the Messiah comes, this is what they'll say. So these people knew that they were calling Jesus the Messiah. Jesus knew that they were calling him the Messiah. And watch this. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold. And let me just stop there and say, in uh, another gospel, it says that the religious Jewish leaders said, Lord, uh, or Jesus, why don't you command that these people stop saying that? Because, you know, that's blasphemy because they're calling you the Messiah. And Jesus said, if they didn't say these things this day, the rocks would cry out and praise. This is a prophetic uh, a prophetic uh, scenario that has been building, 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 building. So many prophecies are leading up to this event. That's the word I was looking for, a prophetic event. And Jesus said, if they did not acknowledge this while the Messiah is coming into the city of the great king, Jerusalem, he said the rocks would cry out today and announce this. This was, by the way, the day that it was all supposed to happen. Jesus is not just coming on some random day. Oh, no, this is the day that it was prophesied that Messiah would show up in Jerusalem. And most people, even though this crowd recognized it, and believed it. Most people did not. Most people didn't even know he was showing up today or writing in. So it goes on to say, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. This is pretty bold, isn't it? Now, we know Jesus is the Son of God, so we don't see it as all that bold. But you can imagine how everybody there, they, they don't see him as even a religious leader. He's not a chief priest. He's not a high priest. He's not a Pharisee or a Sadducee or some, somebody that we would esteem, ascribe as, as one of the leaders. He's some guy who, you know, people say he's a prophet, but who is he? He's from Galilee. He's not even from Judea or Jerusalem. And yet he went in boldly. And boy, he was setting the record straight, saying the temple of God is not for this. The temple of God is to worship and such. But people have made it a den of thieves. In other words, these people are not just doing honest business, but they're in there for the greed, the money. They're making money off the worship of God. And, and Jesus recognizes this and he detests that the God of mammon is really being served in the temple. And so Jesus drives them out. My house shall be called a house of prayer. This is to be about God, not about taking advantage of people for monetary gain. Verse 14, Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Oh, listen to this. Jesus wasn't in the flesh. No, because then, right after he does this, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Just matter-of-factly, he healed them. What does that show us? That's the will of God for people to heal them. Jesus didn't stop and go one by one. Well, wait a minute, have you been living right? No. Notice, God's will is to heal. 
God's will is to heal. All you have to do is read the Bible, and this is what it shows us. And so he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things which he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Oh, here it is. I was thinking that it wasn't going to show up here, but notice it did. Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Then they left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. So notice they didn't go into the rest of the conversation that I told you was in the other gospel, but it does mention that they confronted him about this. Verse 18, now in the morning, as he returned to the city, so now you know, he walks out a couple of miles to Bethany uh, over the Mount of Olives and such. And then uh, it says, Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry and seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. Now, when it says immediately it withered away, it doesn't mean while he stood there because Mark's gospel shows us that that they went on into Jerusalem, they went home that night, and then in the morning they came by the next day, and they saw that it had withered away. Evidently, it immediately started withering, and by the 24-hour or so period, that's when the whole thing had already withered away completely. So it says, immediately the fig tree withered away, and when the disciples saw it, which was the next day, the next morning, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon in 24 hours? This thing is all withered up. Verse 21, so Jesus answered and said to them, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. Now, some people say, you know, this passage, Mark eleven twenty three, when Jesus said, whoever says to the mountain, be removed, they would say, well, he's not talking about a literal mountain. He's talking figuratively. And I do believe that Jesus is talking figuratively, except I also believe that Jesus is saying, but this kind of faith can even move a literal mountain. And here's why I think that that's the way that it should be interpreted. Because Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree. That was a real fig tree. <laughs> he said, you'll not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain. So he said, this fig tree and this mountain. So there must have been a mountain there in proximity that they were looking at, a particular mountain. Well, the Mount of Olives was right there. <laughs> he said, if you say to this mountain, be removed, be cast in the sea, and you had the faith and didn't doubt, he said, that mountain would also move. That's the power of faith. Why? Because faith is not really in and of itself a power. No, faith is what latches on or releases the power of the Almighty. So that's why faith, without doubting, can move even mountains because it's not it of itself power. But it's like the light switch, okay? You flip on the light switch, bam, the electricity hits that light bulb and turns the light on in the house. Well, that light switch is not the power, but that light switch triggers the power. And this is what faith does. When you build your faith on God's word and you speak and pray in faith, 
and you that doubt is washed away and you're believing, it triggers the power of the Almighty God. And that's why it's unlimited, because God's power is unlimited. So notice this. I love verse 22. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. The Bible doesn't say that we'll be heard or that our prayers will be answered if we pray for hours and hours and hours. What the Bible helps us to understand is whatever we ask in prayer, believing, we will receive. Believing. Faith makes prayer work. Prayer doesn't make faith work. Faith makes prayer work. So prayers of faith. You remember in James chapter 5, James says, if any are sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. And it goes on to say, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise them up. So the prayer of faith, the prayer of believing, not the prayer of begging, crying, you know, appealing to God, have mercy, help me, God. I mean, I know that's emotion and, and we and God does have compassion. But really what makes prayer work is faith. That's the key ingredient, is believing God's promise, believing that God wants to do it, is willing to do it. Well, that's why we have to study the Word of God, so we know what His will is. In fact, 1 John 5, 14 and 15 say, and this is the confidence that we have of Him, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So notice, this is the confidence that we have. It's another way to say faith. This is how we believe that our prayers are answered, that if we ask according to His will, he hears us, and if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of Him. And so, uh, it's another way to say we have to be full of faith. We have to be confident. But notice, John brings out, but if you don't know it's God's will, you can't be confident. But if you know it's God's will, and how would we know it, whether it's God's will or not? We go back to His Word. What did He promise? What did He say is His will? And if he said it, then we know it's his will. And we get into a position to receive it. We build our faith on his promise instead of on the circumstances, which often is discouraging. We focus on his word and what he said builds our faith. And then we pray in faith. And he said again, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. That's a strong statement. But obviously Jesus believes it. And therefore, obviously the Father believes it. And so therefore, obviously it's true. He's waiting now on us to believe it and to stand on his word. Okay, verse 23. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Watch this. But Jesus answered and said to them, see, he knows they're trying to set him up and to trip him up and to make him look dumb, discredit him and such. So Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And he's looking to see if they'll commit to say it was from God. And then he'll let them know that the authority he received is also from God. But if they say from men, then he'll know, well, then they're not going to receive me if they don't even receive John the Baptist. They're not going to receive me. So notice this. And they reason among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered and said to him, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. 
Why? You won't commit to whether or not you believe the authority that John the Baptist has. You're not going to commit to believe me either. So I'm not even going to answer your question. <laughs> we don't always have to answer people's questions. Sometimes because believers are such honest people, we feel like we want to give everybody the answer that they want. Jesus was wise, and he realized, and sometimes this happens in the media, where the media wants to put us on the spot and make us give the answer that they want. Jesus was wise, and he avoided giving them the answer that they wanted to use against him. So notice this, verse 28. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. So he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard, set a hedge around it, and dug a wine press in it, and built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when the vine the vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that, that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to Jesus, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. So I wanted to read that whole passage because Jesus is making a point here that really God came to the Jewish peoples. He, he came to Abraham and he made a covenant with Abraham and said, through your descendants, I'll bless you. I'll make all the families of the earth be blessed. Okay, so uh, the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel started with Abraham, his son Isaac, and then his son, his son Jacob who became Israel, changed his name to Israel. And then from there on, it's the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel, etc. Okay, now, God made this covenant with them, gave them the Bible, the Old Testament, you know, gave them the, the Bible, the oracles of God through Moses and other prophets and so on. So they have what we now call the Old Testament, but it was their holy book, their scriptures. Gave it to them. 
And their job was to work with God, to obey God, to let God bless them, and for them to be the example to the world of how God treats people who come into covenant with him. And then the Messiah comes, he dies on the cross, he offers salvation to the rest of the world, and the rest of the world looks at the Jewish people and says, wow, I want to be like that. I want to be in covenant with the Creator like that. The problem is God couldn't get Israel to stay obedient to him, and they kept rebelling and rebelling. And so even though he'd blessed them at some times, he'd have to remove that blessing at other times, and it became a mess. So God was not getting the fruit from that covenant, from that relationship, from the vineyard that he planted, all that God invested into the Jewish people. God was not reaping the returns from it. So what does it say he's going to do? It says... He's going to then come, now that the Messiah Jesus comes, dies on the cross and such, he's going to lease it to other, uh, other uh, uh, vine dressers. Okay, well, who are the other vine dressers? It's the Gentiles. It's the Gentiles. So right now we're in the age of the Gentiles. And the age of the Gentiles is going to come to a conclusion, and we're going to go into the tribulation period, which in essence begins again, the era and the time of the Jewish people, okay? That last week, that 70th week of Daniel. See, now, so Jesus is giving these parables and he's helping these Jewish religious leaders to understand that you're still, even to this day, while we're having the conversation, not receiving the Messiah, not following God's instructions, not doing what God has called you to do. So what's going to happen is, the the chief cornerstone that the builders rejected, which is Jesus, the Messiah. They're rejecting him. It's, it's going to become the primary cornerstone here. He's saying, but, but God's going to lease this to the Gentiles. And so the church, the church, which primarily is non-Jewish, because most of the Jewish people do not believe Jesus is the Messiah to this day. There's a veil over their eyes, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says he's going to lease it and the church is going to explode in the Gentile world. And of course, our job in the Gentile world is to provoke the Jews to jealousy. They were supposed to make us want to be in covenant with God. Now we're supposed to relate to God in such a way and for him to work among us so as that the Jews say, boy, we want that to work for us. We want God to relate to us that way. And we, of course, say, well, Jesus, Yeshua is the Messiah. And they open their hearts and minds. And of course, that, that type of thing in one way or another is going to happen at the end of the age. But this is what Jesus is referring to, that uh, we're going from the time where he's only working with the Jews and fulfilling that covenant. You know, Jesus said, I was not sent to, except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But once he dies on the cross and is raised from the dead, he said, go make disciples of all the nations now, see? And so now we're in the times of the Gentiles here. Praise God. Well, it also gives us a good insight, and that is when God sows into our lives and blesses us, boy, we can't keep from God what he wants. We need to yield to God everything that he wants, obedience, pursuing our calling for him, tithing, giving, loving, etc. And if God's not reaping the fruit from what he sowed into our lives, then there's a problem there. No, everything we own and have, even life itself, the time that we have, waking up every day is a gift from God. We need to do the will of God and not treat it as if we can do whatever we want to with this land that has been leased to us. 
It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. We have it by His benevolence. At His will, we have these things. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.